Hello and welcome to Delving's Draft. My name is Craig and I'm one of your hosts. Joining me this week is... Steve! That was a very assertive Steve. It was. Did you like it? I, I was did. like, Steve, I'm this here. Is... <laughs> this is episode two. What are you going to do about it, Craig? I'm going to just ignore <laughs> you and keep talking. Now, before we start talking about uh, the news, uh, we'll cover the ways you can get in touch with us. We have a Tumblr page, which is delvingsdraft.tumblr.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash delvingsdraft. You can email us at delvingsdraft at gmail.com. Do you see a recurring theme? And finally, I'm on Twitter as at R-A-V-A-K underscore. That's Ravak underscore. Right, uh, launching into the news. Um, first thing, chronologically, the Magic Online Community Cup was last week. I mean, we were recording the show just before it started last week. Community team lost for the first time ever. So, so go look up those eight names and keep picking on them. Because now, instead of getting a free draft and a free promotional card and the potential of getting a free return to Ravnica booster, we got one of the worst cards in the game. It is cool, though, isn't it? It, it is a horrible card. Oh, it's awesome. Look at it. It's brilliant. Okay, so the card you have got on Magic Online, or have you got it yet? I'm not sure. I haven't actually checked if I've got it yet. As long as you logged in sometime during the Community Cup, you're going to get a promotional version of this card. And the card is called Sorrow's Path, and it's a land. It does not give you mana. Instead, this is what it does when you tap it. So you tap, choose two target blocking creatures and opponent controls. If each of these creatures could block all creatures that the other is blocking, remove both of them from combat. Each one then blocks all creatures the other was blocking. Whenever Soros Path becomes tapped, it deals two damage to you and each creature you control. <laughs> so I can divide this into two parts. The first part is really wordy and is stupid. And the second part is you're killing yourself for no good reason. <laughs> I think that's roughly how I can s- summarize these. Yeah, what set is that from? This is from The Dark. Wow. And interestingly enough, it's on the official reprint policy. It's on the reserve list. So really? they cannot print physically any more of these cards but Magic Online because it's Magic Online you get around that basically but I don't know why this is on the reserve list nobody wants this card yeah it's just ridiculous but anyway so due due to the defeat it was uh, 228 points 268 points obviously that 268 was the Wizards team we've all now going to get the Sorrow's Path card which nobody's ever going to use except for it's just (laughs) <laughs> it's just horrible I don't know I kind of like it you're, you're, you're the sort of person who'd lose <laughs> us the cup you're like but, those members of the community team <laughs> yeah but I mean did you really want that promo, promo um, Oven Wildy Beast the Tracker guy? It, was, it was the green it was a promo thing from the game stay for Magic 2013 no I didn't yeah. really want that I wanted the free draft no, I mean, nah, this is cooler. This is cooler than that. You're, you're a wrong one. You're just a wrong one. <laughs> and don't, don't forget, this will never be printed on like Magic Online again, and it's never been on Magic Online before. So you're getting a truly individual card for it. It has, it has actually been on Magic Online before. It's in one of the Masters editions. Oh. But this is a promotional version in a modern frame rather than the old looking frame. But <sighs> why you want this card? <laughs> I don't know if I want it. It's just better than another one. <laughs> You're a bad person. Right. Um, yes. The next thing was Grand Prix Philadelphia, which was last weekend, fortunately, before Superstorm Sandy came along to the East Coast. Uh, the format was returned to Ravnica Sealed and Booster Draft. The winner was Shuhei Nakamura, and this was his fifth Grand Prix win, I seem to recall, and he's also a Hall of Famer, so uh, good on him. Yeah. Uh, 
the next Grand Prix is coming up. There's two coming up in this weekend. There's uh, Grand Prix Lyon and Grand Prix Auckland, which are happening in Lyon and Auckland, respectively. Uh, so this is November 34th. Uh, in Lyon, it will be modern format. In Auckland, it will be standard format. And I believe for the first time, we're going to have European coverage of uh, li- live coverage, you know, with the booth and the commentary team and seeing the matches from Europe. So this will be obviously Lyon and modern. And oh, I can't remember. Everybody on the team, like I know Rich Hagen's going to be there. I think Patrick Chapin's going to be one of the commentators, but I'm not quite sure who else is going to be there. I think it's basically a new team with the exception of Rich Hagen. So, oh, right, yeah, um, makes sense. Yeah, I, I guess I guess there's probably people which are more based in Europe where this is a lot easier. So I think there's going to be like five European Grand Prix. I think it could be one weekend after another, which they're going to cover. So we can look forward to that. Uh, Obviously, it's going to be at a different time because this will be on Europe time. So uh, us Europeans will no longer have to stay up quite so late. Americans and other North Americans will just have to wake up a bit earlier. I don't even know how it works for people in, like, Asia, but, yeah. <laughs> I don't think we need to worry about them uh, as our target it, audience, Chris. <laughs> Australians <laughs> and New Zealand. Uh, I guess New Zealanders and uh, Australians will probably be going to Auckland. But anyways, um, right, I shall move on. Uh a general thing which has just been going on for a while and has continued to go on for a while is the gate crash, uh, sorry, the Pro Tour gate crash qualifier season. So that started back in August. It's going to run until middle of December. Um, so qualifiers are going on everywhere. There should be three qualifiers per region and there's a number of Magic Online qualifiers as well. The format for this is Return to Ravnica, Sealed, and then with a top eight draft. And if you win, then you get, uh, I'm trying to remember. It's free air travel and an invite to Pro Tour Gate Crash, which I believe is in Montreal. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I'm not quite sure what else you get. Is there money involved, or am I just imagining things now? I think you just get your ticket. Yeah, you receive and, an and invitation and packs. travel rewards. Other prizes are determined by the organizer of each event, so that's un- yeah. that's probably going to be boosters, effectively. Okay. Can I just give a wee mention to uh, Highlander Games? Uh, it'll be 10th of November at Highlander Games in Dundee for any listeners in Scotland. You'll probably need to pre-register because there might be shorter spaces. Yep. Other than that, yeah. I, you're, you're going. Dan's going. I'm not quite sure yet. I actually sent an email off today to, uh, I believe, the shop owner of Highlander Games to see if I could judge it. All right, yeah, cool. Um, so we'll see. If not, then I may yeah. turn up, but uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, as a general point for worldwide listeners, I can guarantee that you are able to attend all 10 Magic Online qualifiers, which are still to be run this season. So uh, if there is no store local to you or you just can't be bothered driving all that way or whatever, there's 10 Magic Online qualifiers. You can check the times online. There's a big list of all the qualifiers. So um yeah, that's another way to get... It doesn't, you don't have to play paper magic, you can play online magic. Although generally I think it's harder and tends to be a lot more rounds. Right, anyways, that's the news, I do believe. So we can move on to our first regular feature, which is Boom and Bust. Would you like to go first, or shall I go first? Uh, you can go first today, Craig. Okay, uh, just to remind people, in case they didn't listen to our show, Boom and Bust is where we each choose a card which has risen in our... Um, evaluations and have dropped in our evaluations. So the card, which is my boom and risen in my evaluations, is Goblin Rally. This is the five drop red card, which gives you four 1-1 Goblin tokens. 
which sounds really rubbish, except for if you're playing it, And you're maybe not wanting to play it because um, it's not a particularly strong guild. I'd probably, it's definitely in the bottom two. I'd say Golgari and it are both pretty iffy guilds. But there are ways mm-hmm. to make the guild work. And the key card of Goblin Rally tends to be Teleportal. All right. So Teleportal is where you give target creature plus one plus oh and is unblockable to end a turn. But you can overload it. So what you do, you pop out your Goblin Rally, you get your four little one ones, which are unimpressive. You teleport all the turn after, and then you hit them for eight, plus whatever other creatures you got on the board. Ah, see, I'd never really rated Goblin Rally as a, as a card at all. No, I didn't rate Goblin Rally particularly highly until I was playing Is It? Hmm. At which point, um, it became clear that this was good. I mean, Okay, admittedly, this does potentially teleportal to work. There's probably other cards where it does work with in the Izzet deck, but uh, yeah, it, it, this is a good combo. And because um, there's no like mass pump, is there? There's nothing that says all oh, your creatures get plus one or anything like that. Uh, there's Dino Charge. Target oh, Dino Charge, of course, yeah. Is it again? Yeah. I mean, admittedly, the question then is, are you getting through? But then maybe you're just killing things. I mean, with Dino Charge, your goblins are trading with centaurs. Yeah, that's cool. And if you do Dino Charge and uh, Teleportal, then you're doing 16 damage with these four goblins alone. Yeah, that seems good. And if you have another creature, then you're just hitting for 20 and unblockable. So, I mean, Goblin Rally does a lot of work in the Izzet deck. Like, I probably wouldn't take it if I was playing Rakdos, because it's slow... It's weak. It's not really doing what I want to be doing. The only, the only place I can see it with Rakdos is if you're running a lot of launch parties. If you want ammunition for a launch party, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then it's an expensive way to do it. Five mana and a card. Yeah. I don't know, Craig. I don't know if you've sold me on it. Well, have you played the Izzet deck? I've played... And is it deck? Yeah, what, what, you need to play the is a deck. As an, right. an, an is it deck which works. Yeah, well, the, the is it deck I've been, well, the, the is it deck I've been trying to play has been more of a kind of a, well, I, I, I would call it a civic saber deck. Okay. I'm using lots of multicolored guys and, uh, getting really aggressive guys on the ground and then protecting them with removal encounters. That's okay. what I've been trying to do, but slightly different. Hmm. I mean, my, the, the the deck I was specifically playing this with was first pick Cyclonic Rift, Ooh. and then later I got the Teleportal. And those are just two free wins. Like, either you remove all their guys and thus you hit them hard, or you make other guys unable to block and thus you hit them hard. Yeah, and I suppose there's alternatives to Teleportal. You've also got um, Buster Squall and Kemster's Trick do similar things. I never did pick up a Kemster's Trick. I wasn't quite sure where to rate that, but... Yeah, it is good if you can take the hit. If you can just say, oh, your guys attack me, and then I hit you back and kill you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the Goblin Rally does work in the Izzet deck. As I say, I don't think it's a Rakdos card, but... And you need cards to support it. It's not just a card you run without actually trying to do anything with those goblins, but... You know. So, my bus card also comes from the Izzet deck, and this was... Is it Staticaster? Now, maybe I rated this too highly when I first looked at the cards, but... A Pinger? Which pings like all the things. It, it like you know, if it hits one bird, it hits all the birds and kills all the birds. That seems really, really good. Yeah. But then the the big problem is, of course, that very little things really have one toughness that are also relevant. Yeah, I mean, I think what very comes in as element is uh, finishing off creatures after combat damage. 
this is basically exactly what I used him for. I, uh, I made an attack where my opponent made two blocks and then I was, well, I wasn't sure how they're going to block, but I knew they had to block both my guys. And then depending on how they blocked, I was going to be able to ping one of them to kill it off, you know, by flashing in the static caster. But yeah. that's what all the static casters really good for. It's really, it's just there to like finish them off. And I think in that sort of situation, it's just pinging. It's not doing the whole sort of static caster ping where, you know, it hits target card and all our cards of the same name. Yeah, I mean, I saw one game where I played him, and I flashed him in and pinged somebody and killed them after combat and blocked somebody with him as well, I think. But then the next turn, he had no other targets, and then my opponent played a guild mage, and uh, I had to use... My own treacherous instinct, treacherous instinct. You know the untap stealer guy spell. Yeah. To use it on my, on my is it Statcaster, <laughs> so I could do two damage to his guild mage. <laughs> oh, wow, that yeah. was really bad. Oh dear. Yeah, I don't know if it was a particularly good play, but it seemed to do the job. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, Statcaster. It just finishes guys off, and you really want cards which do more than just finish guys off. You want guys which can just deal with other guys. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I still like this. I, I still like him. I still like him. I mean, it's a surprise O3 blocker. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily block terribly much. But Yeah. Yeah, he, he's not, not, not as good as I'd thought, and now that I've played with him, I can kind of confirm that. I mean, I played with him at the pre-release as well, but... Um, now I've kind of secured that he's not really that good. He looks very pretty, but <laughs> he doesn't really do that much. Is it even a he? That looks a bit like a girl. <laughs> I wasn't actually looking at the card. It could well be... No, indeed. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, this is one of those terrible pictures where they're anatomically, like, broken bone, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Anyways, um, yeah, Staticaster, she's, uh, yeah, she's not that good. Yeah. Well, the uh, card that has risen in my estimations this week, my boom, is a card called Dispel. And it's a one-mana counter-target instant spell. And I always looked at it and saw a very narrow card. Kind of like this is something that's, uh, you know, it's only going to be relevant sometimes. In oh, the, the one thing that always struck me was, the idea of top decking it when you needed to kill something or you needed to block something, top deck this spell, uh, that's useless. But what I've found is now I'm actually picking it over a lot of combat tricks. Okay. Because what I find with combat tricks is when, when you, when you use them, you're trading your combat trick for one of their creatures usually. So it's like a, a one for one. Yeah. But with this spell, what happens is the opposite. You end up trading this spell for their combat trick and their creature usually. Because the, the situation is usually a case where they think they're being very clever and making you block something that you can obviously kill and then go, haha, I've got a combat trick. And then your response is, well, I've got a dispel and you lose two cards for my one dispel. And, uh, I just enjoy doing that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I can see why you'd want to do yeah, that. Yeah, so like, to my mind, where combat tricks are usually getting a, a one for one, and this spell for me usually seems to get a two for one, and that's why it's gone up in my estimations. I, I will have to try running it the next time I play blue. And uh, the card that's gone down in my estimations is the green rare death presence. Okay. It's kind of a card that I never even noticed. 
And uh, what happened was I saw it in a draft and I first picked it. I was like, wow, look, look at that. And it was the, kind of the raw power that it offers. It's, and what, I'll, I'll read out the exact effect of it. It's an enchantment. It costs six mana. And whenever a creature you control dies, you put X plus one plus one counters on target creature you control, where X is the power of the creature that died. And I was thinking, wow, that's going to be brutal. How does your opponent get around that? Yeah. But the problem is, you pay six mana, you get this enchantment, and nothing happens. Nothing yeah. changes on the board. You, you, you've just invested practically a whole turn into putting this down, and your opponent has the opportunity then to come back and advance his board somehow. And then there's all these ifs attached to it as well. It's like, one of your creatures has to die, so you have to have a creature, and your opponent has to be willing to kill it, or you have to have a way of sacrificing it, and you have to have a creature to put plus one, plus one counters on, mm-hmm. and that creature has to survive long enough not you know, to actually kill your opponent. Yeah. And it's, it, there's a lot of uh, conditions you have to meet to actually make this worthwhile. And uh, I don't think I really rated it highly when, like, when I first saw the set because I think it just passed me by. But in that draft I just did, I, was, I saw it and went, wow, that's got to be good. And I really don't think so. And that's it. That's my, that's my boom and my bust for this week. Okay. Um, let's move on then to our group topic. So, uh, saying we are playing Return to Ravnica, we'll be playing with it for a while. I think it's February when we're going to see it crash. Uh, yeah, I I know it is February because the first GP which is going to have any gate crash in it is GP London, which we're hoping to attend, I think. Or I'm certainly hoping to attend. Yeah, that'd be cool. That's the middle of February, so. Yeah, uh, got Return to Ravnica until February, so quite a while yet, and I thought we should discuss how to draft the guilds. Because if you're not really drafting the guilds and you're going monocolor, you're doing it wrong. And if you're going five color, then, um, good luck! Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I thought we should cover, uh, how to draft each guild, and initially I was going to do O5 in one show, but I figured A, the show's going to run long, or B, we're not going to do it enough justice, so each week, I'm not going to promise that it's going to be like this week and the next four weeks onwards, but uh, we will cover each of the guilds in turn. And this week I thought we'd start with Slaznia, saying it's uh, it's probably a guild we've all, we both of us have drafted, so we both oh, probably yeah. know how it works. Um so what's time to go is it to start off with, but um I think we'll wait until we see how is it works. But I thought we'd start with Selesnia. So um I guess so. Um thing with Selesnia, there's certain cards you need in each of the guilds. Like to make the Selesnia deck work, you need certain cards. To make this a deck work, you need certain cards. And um there's two cards I picked out and there's a third you picked out. Yeah. When it comes to cards you need. So the first crucial card is Centaur's Herald. And the second one is Call of the Conclave. And the reason you need both of these cards is because you need centaurs out as soon as you can. Because they are integral to your deck. I mean, what you're doing with Slesnia's Mechanic is obviously you're creating more and more creature tokens. And three threes is what you want to be creating. You want them down as quickly as possible to sort of stave off any early attack and to stabilize yourself pretty quickly. And then you want to be able to populate them pretty quickly as well. So you need your centaur's heralds in turn one. So on turn three, you've got that sort of guaranteed centaur. If you can get Cole the Conclave, that's good because like all the Selesnya players certainly want Cole the Conclave because a two drop three three, that just screams value. Yeah. Um, so these are why those two cards are crucial. But you've added a third one in. 
Yeah, I, I thought uh, slime molding's a valid um, card to try and get a hold of. You're playing Slesnia. Uh, just in, like, if your one drop is Centaur's Herald and your two drops call the Conclave, uh, turn, uh, I suppose it'd be a turn four slime molding as a 3-3 three, three, is not a bad token to put in play that you can copy. And if you draw it late, it can be as big as you like, you know? I mean, I definitely think it's better the later you can cast it. Because obviously then you get a much bigger token, but... Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's, it's a case of getting get, I mean, getting any token down, I suppose. True. And it fits in anywhere in the curve, which is also good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think also with the, with the cards you need, I mean, it's the the token generating cards, obviously, you need. But it's the there's kind of a balance with Lesnia between the token generating cards and the populate cards. Like, you... Can't ha- like I say, it has to be a balance of um, token generation and actual populating. So a lot of the instants you do need, but it's a case of which ones do you want, you know? Yeah. Right. Shall we move on to all the cards you probably want in your deck? Yeah. In case you haven't, so. you know, determined what the good slicing cards are. So um, I'm not sure whether to go through this one by one or just to list them all off. Uh. I can kind of group the first two, I would think. Rootboard yeah, Defences and Druid's Deliverance are both sort of the same thing. They're both combat tricks, in a way, and they both populate. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these, uh, the cards you want are instant speed populate effects, which have another ability which is useful, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. That probably covers it. So... It just depends on which combat tricks you rate. So my rootborne defences compared to Druid's Deliverance, I think, prefer the rootborne defences. That's the white one, isn't it? That's the white uh, three drop. Your guys are indestructible. Yeah. Because like you say, that's a combat trick. Kills kills uh, your ga- your opponent's guys, you don't lose any. Yeah. Druid's Deliverance is just a straight-up fog, isn't it? Yeah, um, Druid's Deliverance, I believe, prevents all combat damage to your to you. side of the board. No, just to you. It doesn't protect your creatures. Oh, sorry, yes, yes, that's right. So you just let them swing in and hit you. Yeah. And then all you know, your guys are ready to swing back at them next turn. Yeah. Um, but it is a two-drop, and, I mean, yeah, it depends what you want to do. I mean, you can sort of play Rootborn Defenses if you want to hit them back and try to kill some of their guys. If you're willing, for, if you're just happy to let them swing in and then you can swing back with Druid's Deliverance, then... You're only paying two mana for that. It's in green, if that makes any real difference. But yeah, um, yeah. Uh, the next card here is Knightly Valor. Yeah, I mean it's a nice card. Uh, it gets you a knight in play, and it pumps up one of your guys. But uh, I'm not sure if it's like a key component in the deck. To be fair, I would rather play Security Blockade myself, which again gives you a two-two white knight with vigilance. Mm. But it's a 3-drop rather than a 5-drop, and then it gives you this ability to prevent one damage each turn, which is sometimes relevant. I mean, it's a nice thing sort of yeah. to have sitting there. I mean, one one thing with the Slesnia deck is you end up with... Um, I mean, you're not going to be purely token generation. You've got normal creatures in there too, yeah. and because it's paired up with white, you've got a lot of flyers. Not a lot, but you've got the potential to have flyers. And uh, the Knightly Valor on a flyer is pretty good, as <laughs> to be said. Definitely. Yeah. Um, the next card center is Healer, which is a three drop for three, uh, sorry, three, three, four, three, which is kind of what you want, and you want three threes 
Well, you can't populate it, but you do get three life when it comes to play. Yeah. I think the strength of this guy is when you're facing the really aggressive decks. If you're playing against the, Ra- the Rakdos decks, or even certain Izzet builds, or Azorus builds, uh, the life game becomes really relevant if they have a, an aggressive start. Next is Courses Accord, which is a 6-drop, which gives you a 3-3 centaur, and then you can populate. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I used to pick these up pretty early, but to be honest, getting to 6 mana, like, it happens, but you don't want too many of these in your deck. No, you don't it's want cute. too many, but it's 6 power for 6 mana, so you can't complain. No. It's at least 6 power. You could be getting something ridiculous off of this. Yeah, you could have either a slime molding, which has got big enough, um the 8-8 token, or yep. even a Rhino, which is Rhino, a 4-4, yeah. which, yeah, you're not uh, sniffing at either. Um, Tristani's Judgment. It's, again, I feel like this is like Horses Accord. It's a 6-drop. Yes, it exiles something, which is really good, and it populates, which hopefully it's good at this stage. Um, hopefully I have another tokens. But a 6-drop removal is pretty harsh. Like, I'm not sure. Like, yeah. I... But, I mean, when it comes to removal, I don't know if it gets better than just exile your guy. Or exile any guy. Yeah, you know? I mean, you certainly want exile over destroy if you can. Yeah. Um, and there's no conditions. It's no, there's no, it has to be a certain colour or monocoloured or, you know, it's just straight up, you get your money's worth. It's, it does what it says on the tin. Yep. Um, I've put Grove of the Guardian on, on, there, Grove of the Guardian on here. And I think it's good if you can get it. Like, it's a card you want, and obviously, seeing it's a Slesnia rare, you're probably picking it at any rate. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I suppose that would be one that would maybe put you in the colour. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't have put it on the list, but getting uh, basically a 6-drop, 8-8 eight, eight, tr- yeah. Vigilance creature, I mean, that's just the best. It is ridiculous, yeah. Yeah. And then I was going to mention the Charms and the Guild Mages, but I think they kind of go without saying for all the guilds. And Yeah, they're all good, aren't they? Yeah. They're all, all bomb, bomb uncommon status. <laughs> well, yeah. the, the Guild Mages anyway. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I've never played with this Lesnia Guild Mage, and I'm wondering, are the costs that prohibitive? Like, no. four mana for Populate and six mana for 3-3 three, three Centaur, is that terribly four, bad? Four mana is perfect, because you can go... Uh, Guild Mage turn 2, turn 3 you pop your uh, Centaur's Herald, and then turn 4 you're populating every turn. I suppose that's it's true. It's on curve, you know. And then the the more expensive ability is just like a mana dump for later on. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I, I say I've not, not played with it, so I haven't had that experience. Yeah. But, yeah okay. Right, um... I thought I'd just cover the popular mechanic in case people yeah. aren't 100 sure about it. So I've I've taken the rules like directly from the comprehensive rules. So this is word for word what populate says. So it says to populate means to choose a creature token you control and put a token onto the battlefield that's a copy of that creature token. So the important thing is you need to control the token. Like if it's been mind controlled or what's it called, traitor's instincts, then that doesn't work. Because on the opponent's side, although you could theoretically steal their token with Trader's Instincts if somehow you're also in red, and yeah. Do that. And then yeah, you create a copy of it, which means you're not getting any of like the counters on it or anything like that, or any of the auras on it, but you're just getting the base creature. And then the second part is says if you control no creature tokens when instructed to populate, you won't put a token on the battlefield. So tokens don't appear out of nowhere. You know you can't you can't just populate and say oh it's uh, eight eight blue uh, sorry white green trampling 
creature. It doesn't work like that. If there's nothing, if you can't populate something, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. But you, if, if, there's no card which I think just says populate, but you could cast a card which says populate if there's no tokens and it would just, just do nothing. But. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say there, Craig, was, uh, so like with Selesnia, then what do you think the, uh, the overall plan for the deck is? Like from, like, turn one to the end of the game, what's the, what's the game plan? Um, you're starting off creating your centaurs. If you're lucky enough to do so, I would say. You're blocking when you need to. You're attacking when you can. Maybe that's sort of just a yeah. general statement. Like, you don't have to be hyper-aggressive with this. Because you, yeah. can, you can sort of wait until combat favors you, either because you've got the quantity or quality of creatures, and then you can use your rootborn defenses or your druid's deliverance to get the upper hand. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what my, my, what I was thinking is that with, with the Selesnia, you're, you're getting... Good evasive creatures from white, and you're getting good solid creatures from green. Yeah. So like the actual token generation is almost like a side effect of your of your instant speed spells. So like the the deck sort of plays out almost like a normal green beast deck, but what you're trying to do the whole time is have a token in play, so that when you do need your your uh, your instant uh, combat tricks and removal, you get those little incremental benefits out of them of getting extra tokens and you can overwhelm your opponent with them. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like uh, the like Selesnia deck probably isn't just made up of token generation and populate. It's probably got other staple creatures in there as well. You know, so like you're needing your your bears, kind of like the Keenan apparitions and uh, I don't know, just, just the two drop tutus and other other good creatures from within the colours. Yeah, I mean, you should. Another thing, in case it's it, uh, people aren't aware, make sure you got more token generating cards than you have populate cards, because the worst thing would be to play a populate card when you can't create another token. Like, it, it's a bad idea if you're running too much populate. You may just miss, or you may be lucky enough that the one you know three three centaur stuck around, but. Yeah. Don't just stop populate and thinking. It definitely works in Celestia because if you don't have enough targets for it, then yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at the kind of the standard sort of guide to deck building, you know, they say seventeen creatures and uh, what six spells. spells. Yeah, and you're probably looking to try and get your hands as much as much removal as possible. So, out of those six cards, you've maybe only got. Four populate spells, or four yeah. slots, because if you're essentially a, a green beats deck, the majority of your decks should be made of creatures. Yeah. So, do you count uh, populate cards as creatures when you're figuring out your? Uh... Probably not. No, I don't think I am. In all honesty, half a creature. Uh, I can go to half a creature. It depends. Like, if it's something like Tristani's Judgment, and that's just removal, and that's just a spell. Druid's Deliverance and Rootborn Defense... Uh, sorry, yeah. yeah Druid's Deliverance and Rootborn Defenses, they're both probably half a creature. Knightly Valor and um, Security Blockade are, again, half a creature. Security Blockade probably just a creature, in all honesty. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then obviously the cards which actually just create creatures, like Cola Conclave and Curses Accord and and uh, Horn Colors Chant. 
Yeah. I mean, those three are creatures. Like, it creates a creature and it populates. It's just, that's just a creature card. Like, you yes, un- unconditional that. makes a guy. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that, that counts as your creatures. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. So, I mean, like, the, uh, out of the kind of vanilla kind of guys, what do you think actually fits into the deck? Who, outside of the token generating and populating? Who fits in the deck? Yeah. Um, the, I mean, do you put in an, an Azorius Justicar? You could put yeah. in a Justicar. <laughs> I mean, you can detain two things. That means you don't have to keep your centers back for blocking, and you can get your hits in, Yeah. Um, which is always good. Oh, oh, how do you feel about Phantom General? I haven't been able to play with him. I don't even have a playset, and dear God, do I want a playset, because I don't have to play it in like tons of decks. Creature tokens you control get plus one plus one. Going from a three three centaur to a four four centaur, yeah, it's a huge jump. Like yeah, the, there there is this there is this dividing line between three and four in Return to Ravnica, and this, you know if the second you go above three and into four, things either you get really good hits into your opponent or you can never get past your opponent depending on you know what side of the board the four is on. So. Suddenly making all your centers 4-4 four, four is huge. Even making your birds 2-2s, two, like yeah, if was, you are running any birds, that's a significant leap up. Yeah, I was just about to mention Sailor Songbirds, because it's normally not a uh, highly picked card, you know, because, because it just makes 1-1s. One yeah. It's a pretty irrelevant body itself. But the Phantom General makes the 1-1 the one, one birds pretty decent. You know? I mean, if I have a Phantom, even if I have three Phantom Generals, Somehow, I'm probably still trying to avoid being seller songbirds in my deck. Yeah. Eyes in the skies, maybe, because the chances are I can create a 2-2 bird and a 4-4 centaur or something like that, and that seems yeah. okay, but, um, yeah, I just want phantom generals. They're, they're great. I mean, uh, to be honest, uh, probably this should be a card which is in the want, you want this in your deck if you can. Yeah. Because, yeah, I, I say the, the difference between three and four is pretty significant. Yeah. Yep. Yep. What about the removal then? What's uh, do it with Selesnya? Are you looking for cheap removal or are you looking for the big? Exp- you know, we're talking about Tristani's judgment. Do you think? Yeah, I I want to shy away from Tristani's judgment as much as possible. I'd much rather have an avenging arrow. Really? Like, I know. I know avenging arrow has this downside that you need to, like, the creature needs to have dealt damage, so you can't use. Um, it's deliverance or something like that. You need to let the creature hit you and then you can deal with it. But it's cheap. Yeah, I suppose I mean, so. Uh, paying six, like an entire turn just to remove one creature. How relevant is that one creature to like... Mm. I mean, it can do damage to you as well. Avenging Arrow works if it's damaged a player as well. Yeah, true. Well, I mean, yeah, either it's hitting one of my, maybe it's probably hitting or killing one of my creatures, or it's hitting me for some damage before I'm going to deal with it. But I like Avenging Arrow. Yeah, I, I think Avenging Arrow is maybe better in Slesnia than it is in other decks because a lot of the time you're going to be having, you're going to leave your man open during your turn anyway because your your token production is instant speed. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have your mana sitting open anyway. So like in a lot of like in an Azorus deck, you're Probably want to use your mana in your turn to do things, but with Selesnya, a lot of your stuff is quite reactive. So Avenging Arrows may be better in Selesnya than it is in, say, Blue White. Yeah, I mean the the other two removal spells, which would be Giant Growth and Savage Surge. Arrest! Don't forget rest. 
Uh, maybe nothing of rest. I was thinking, sorry, I, I, I was gonna say with Giant Growth and Savage Surge, I'd much rather have these than Avenging Arrow, because, um, yeah, going from a 3-3 to that 6-6 six, six Centaur, you're not getting past me. Even a 4-4 four, mm. four bird is just ridiculous. And then Savage Surge as well, where you just kind of go, oh yeah, my guy, he's just hit you, but now he's a 5-5 five, five blocker or something like that. That's yeah. also grand. Um, yeah, a rest. Yeah, I mean, I'd take a rest. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, three mana to just deal with a creature and it's dealt with. Yeah. Like now, like I don't have to wait for it to hit me. I don't have to wait for some sort of attack or blocks as the other three cards I've just mentioned. Arrest is just like, no, you're dealt with. Stay there. Done. Quite often the uh, the populate cards work as, as a quasi-removal anyway. You know, yeah. you've got eyes in the skies, make a 3-3 three, three centaur you weren't... Well, if you've got four man open, they maybe were expecting, but... They maybe can't do anything about it, you know? Yeah, Reborn Defenses is the best for that, where they attack into you and, you know, you don't have any blockers and all of a sudden you create your centaur or something, and then you kill one of their guys as well, and your centaur survives, you know? It's, yeah. That's, I mean, yeah, def- definitely populate is pseudo-removal, which is another nice thing. But although this does make it exceptionally important that you get a token out and keep tokens out. Yeah, I think that's a really key thing, and the... The difficulty with keeping tokens in play is the timing of when you play your populate spells. Like, it's very easy to be tempted to play them and not pay attention to your, what a mana your opponent's got open. Mm-hmm. So if you play them in the wrong order, for example, like, your opponent's bound to realise how important your uh, tokens are to you. So they could, say for example, uh, Use uh, the red burn spell, kill your centaur, and in response you can make a token, and you've still got a token. Yeah. But the, if you play that the other way around, you have nothing. Mm-hmm. If, if, if you play a populate spell into a burn spell, then you've just uh, been two for one. Yeah, t- timing's important. This is something I may talk about in the next show. Um yeah, if if you're if you say I'm going to populate, your opponent gets to react to that, and their reaction occurs first. Mm-hmm. So you know, so so exactly like you said, I say populate, you say annihilating fire. My center dies, my populate ability fires, and it doesn't copy anything, and I've just spent three mana to lose my guy. Yeah. Whereas if you go, I'm annihilating fire your center, and then I populate in response. I've spent three mana, but I kind of kept the center around effectively. So yeah, I mean it's a. It's a real balance between sort of being patient and buying your time to when you're able to cast your spell safely yeah. and maintaining the the tempo of your game plan. Just actually be able to make guys and be able to use your mana each turn. Yeah. Should we talk about how Slesnia deals with other guilds then? Yeah, yeah. Because obviously uh, you're, you're going to be playing against guilds. This is what Return to Ravnica is sort of about. Ravnica is all about the guilds. So... Um, yeah, we try to work out how you can deal with, uh, how, if you're playing Selesnia, how you deal with the other four guilds. We haven't actually written up about the Selesnia-Selesnia matchup. Yeah, true. Yeah, maybe that was an oversight. Um, so anyway, so we'll start with Izzet, which is obviously um, blue and red. Generally, you're going to find their creatures are smaller than yours, so combat tricks are a bit less needed and a bit less effective. Like, you don't really need to giant growth in your Savage Surge, because you guys are just killing them at any rate. It's probably still nice to have Druid's Deliverance and Reborn Defenses just for the populate side of things, but, you know, generally it's it, they're, they're not as vital. One thing you also need to be aware of is that 
one toughness creatures are very vulnerable. Um, I can't remember where I read it somewhere. I read somewhere pretty recently that somebody just went, turn one, centers Herald. And their opponent did something. And he, then they went, turn two, centers Herald. And then their opponent just went, I cast electric, electricery overload. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably the worst situation you can be in a Celestian player. So be aware that your one toughness creatures are very vulnerable. Your birds, yeah. your centers Heralds. Um, they can easily get wiped out by electricery or by the Is It Staticaster. Yeah, he's looking um, pretty good now, isn't he, Craig? He's looking he looks pretty a good lot now. better now, but um, <laughs> to be honest, if you're, if, you know, I'm not... Yeah, I suppose if they're on the play, then they could still get the Staticaster on time, but anyways. Um, yeah, so one toxic creatures are vulnerable, so maybe don't rely too much on your center heralds if you can avoid it. The big problem is that it's probably just their walls, like Hover Barrier, Doorkeeper, they're both on the wrong side of of the three four divide, and your center is just running into them all all the time. So, if you've got any removal for them, that becomes a lot more useful. Yeah, and the problem with Avenging Arrow here is Avenging Arrow doesn't hit those walls. This is very true, unless somehow he gives a Dyna charge or something. Yeah, something. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So this is where rest and uh, Tristani's judgment probably comes in. Um, yep. With the walls. Uh... I suppose your giant growth on a centaur works as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not great, is it, though? I mean, it does the job, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm finding it hard to to talk about, is it, because it's not something I've drafted a lot. I think I've drafted it once, Mm -hmm. and the deck I made was, like, a really aggressive deck, so I don't know how much our problem is aggro in general for Selesnia, do you think? It depends. It's it's all about. It, I mean, you can make good blocks with Slesnia because you've got the three threes, yeah. And that generally means you you've, you can kill things even if you're trading, unfortunately. But if you, it's the tokens. If you lose your centaur, mm. your centaur token, like it's all it's all very nice having your centaur healer. Yeah, it's a three three. It's a centaur, but it's not a token. And it's it's being able to make good blocks whilst keeping your tokens alive. Yeah, I mean, does. Does something like uh, Concordia Pegasus make it into your deck to protect against aggro? Or is it just too weak a creature? A 1-3 flying, yeah, it's nice, but you're not really blocking two power attacking flyers, are you? You're blocking three attacking power flyers, and you're not killing them. I mean, the the Concordia Pegasus is only good if you're against the Liev Sky Knight. It's a 1-3 blocking a 3-1. Otherwise, nah, I don't really want, I don't want the Concordia Pegasus in any of my decks, really. It's not, it's not doing it up. It's on the, it's on the wrong side of three, and it doesn't have the power to deal with anything. It's just doing one damage. Yeah, I think it does have a place, but maybe not in Sicilian deck. But yeah, I, I mean, if you're talking about an enchantment based deck, maybe. Yeah, that's, that's true. But you're not running in, you're not running any boosting enchantments, really, are you? No, I don't think so. Probably you. not, no. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, is it dealt with? Yeah, uh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize to everyone. That's the first and last time. Send all your complaints <laughs> into delving into draft at gmail.com. Um, <clears throat> moving on. <laughs> uh, Rakdos is the next guild. So, um, yeah, Rakdos is obviously coming out pretty quickly with quick but little guys, so generally you can stop them by having a 3-3 three, three around. So either your your center token, preferably your center healer, just because it's not a token and it gives you some life, is a pretty good way to go. 
I mean, the guy I'm thinking of here, Craig, that might be a problem for you is the Chainwalker. He comes down as a 3-2 and he's trading up with one of your 3-3s. You know? Yeah, I mean, there there is that. And uh, to be honest, also the Splatter Thug, which is a 3-3 first, uh, first mm-hmm. strike. Yeah, if you unleash him. But, uh, of course, the weakness with the Rakdos deck, not that I want to go terribly into depth, is the fact that if they're unleashing, then they're not blocking. And you're probably hitting them harder, but uh, maybe, but maybe not as fast because, like, you're you're gonna you have to jump up through all the hoops to get your three threes. You know, the Rakdos deck is it's aggressive, and uh, I don't know if it makes it worth uh, considering the the two twos that are available to you, so you can trade with those creatures. You know, like the the Keenan apparitions and even some of the. The scavenge card, so is that the the drudge beetles are straight up two two. Um, I mean, you've got your knight tokens as well if you're casting knightly valor and probably security blockade more likely because you need them out quick. But yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I kind of kind of prioritise two. I mean, I guess ever since Avison, I've been like, oh, there's a two two, and if I've got a choice between like blank two two and kind of mediocre guy, I usually just go for the the, the bear. And I think that's just Avison that's done that to me. But, uh. Like, now, there, there's uh, a few cards where Rakdos is playing where two isn't going to be enough. Like the Unleashed Splatter Thug or the Dead Reveler, Unleashed or Leashed. Um, yeah. Yeah, how do you deal with a 3 3 first striker? Um, <laughs> well, if they're hitting you for three, you're hitting them for three is probably the way about it. Um, Card advantage is generally more important than tempo because you just need to sort of deal with their sort of early game because Rakdos is basically about the early game. Their late game, I mean, they got removal, but oh yeah, they. I mean, yeah, sure, maybe they've hit a good rare, but otherwise they're just pumping out these sort of little guys which hit quick. But if you can somehow put a wall up and just stop them, you know, if you can get your like four four centaur because you've yeah. got random general, then they just kind of stop and then. You can just, you know, you just get enough cards and you can just do more stuff than them. I suppose in some way, they're a bit of a one-trick pony, I would have said, but... Yeah, I mean, I'd say Rakdos is one of the strongest decks you can draft, isn't it? Yeah, true. I think that's just due to the speed and the the um, access to removal. Yeah. I mean, Tower Indrik seems pretty good as a good uh, kind of defender that could be sided in. Yeah, I mean, I he's on the correct side of the 3-4 divide on his body, the two... Damage is uh, sorry. The two powers enough to kill uh, quite a few things. Mm. Um, so yeah, Taring Indrik is probably moves up in your estimation at that stage. Yeah. And it's the only incidental life gain we've got the healer. Um, Aerial predation, I suppose. We've got life on that. You're probably not playing that against Rakdos. So. No, you're probably not. <laughs> uh, I mean, they have Chaos Imps or Dagger Drone Imps. Yeah, but, um, that's it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean. Stonefear Crocodile, he's, is he worth the Golgari gate for the lifelink? I, th- I think we're considering just two colour guilds in this particular instance. I mean, uh, maybe, I mean, uh, he's a 2-3? Yeah, two, a 3-2, so he... Oh, a 3-2, well then, he, yeah, he's probably in the right place to deal with Rakdos in all honesty. Yeah. And yeah, the life gain is relevant, because they're all about hitting you quickly and as hard as they can, as quickly as possible, before you get a time to stabilise, and life gain is exactly how you stabilise. Yeah, yeah. Is that Rakdos done? I think so. <laughs> right, so with Azorius, um, you're playing more of a tempo game, but unlike, like, 
the big thing with Azorius is obviously you need to deal with flyers. And centaurs aren't doing anything because they're sitting on the ground looking up and going, oh, look at all the pretty birds flying overhead. So if you can, having flyers of your own are pretty good. I mean, you're possibly not prioritizing that in a draft, but if you can have something which flies, I mean, this is maybe where Concordia Pegasus is good just as a blocker. Eyes in the skies probably raises up in your estimations as well. Yeah. But aerial predation is probably where you really want to be at. Just deal with a flyer, I guess, some life, and that helps both with the fact that they're hitting you in the sky and the tempo because, you know, you're gaining life. Yeah, I mean, I think whenever I'm playing green of any type, I usually try and get an aerial predation in my deck. Mm-hmm. It's, it seems like a sideboard card because it is situational, but it's really unusual to be in a game where your opponent has no flyers. I mean, it's always got one target, you know. Uh, and if, I, if possible, I'll try and have two aerial predations with one in the board. And if they aren't playing flyers, then I side it out, you know. I don't know if that's the correct way of doing it, but that's the way I do it. And uh, with green, you've got uh, guys who reach that you can go for, like the Indric. And is there not? A, there's a big spider. Yeah, the Arch Weaver, which I think is something huge, like a five-five. Let me just double check. Yeah, yeah, he's a five-five who reach and trample. Although he is also a seven-drop. But if you can get an Arch Weaver down, you're probably have that's probably the stabilization, like yeah. right there. And then they're just stuck in there. I think some of the card that deserves a, like an honourable mention in this sort of matchup would would be uh, Sunspire Griffin, because I mean like you're on about the the three four divide I think with uh, Azorus, it's more of a two three divide because you, you're hard pushed to find a blue or white creature with power more than two, yeah, like like within the commons. I mean you really are. I, I don't know. I don't, I've not had a proper look, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. Uh, uh, I'm just having a brief glance, but I'm thinking there's the left Sky Knight, but it deals, like, you can just do yeah. damage to it and it's dealt with. I mean, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah that's I, the exception, I think isn't got it? it. Yeah, I think that's the exception rather than the rule. So, so creatures with, with three toughness or better are, are, you know, a priority against them. And like the, the Sunspire Griffin plugs up that gap in the air and he blocks a lot of their ground guys like the if they've been playing Azorus Arrestors and things, he just kills them. You know, and kills them all day long. I will say, um once they get up to six mana, that's when Azorus starts pumping out the three toughness flyers. And that's potentially what you may want to keep your removal for if you can somehow deal with the earlier flyers. Yeah. But yeah, you probably want your towering and drink, um your aerial predations. Um yeah. Yeah. But when it's on the ground you're probably you're probably better on the ground, but they're better in the air, so just be aware that you're fighting two separate battles here and you need to be on top of both to get the win. Yep. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything you can... I'm just, I, was, I was thinking about cards you could maybe splash in to help you against flyers, but there really isn't. The best, the best anti-flyer cards are in green, you know? Um, o- other than flyers themselves. I mean, Avenging Arrow, you're definitely going to get plenty of targets with Avenging Arrow, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's where I like playing Avenging Arrows, it means they don't have it, because you've been hating them out of the draft, but, um, yeah. Right, so, uh, in Golgari, um, you're definitely the aggressor in Golgari, like, Golgari's a very slow deck, and, uh, you're being as aggressive as you, as you can be. Combat tricks are great, um, because, if you've got tons of combat tricks, I mean, you've stolen it all from them. 
And then when they do eventually get to scavenge, you're going to have to deal with some pretty beefy creatures, and you're going to potentially just need the combat tricks or removal just to deal with them. I mean, the um, the Golgari thing with putting tokens onto their guys, if you can find a way to bounce their guys, that's pretty handy. So, I mean, that's another another place where you can maybe consider splashing cards. I don't know. I mean, detain's probably better if you've picked up any detain cards. Well, just... I don't know, because like if they go to all the effort of spending time and mana putting counters on their guys, and you've got a Azorius Guild Gate, and you can bounce it with the... Is it, uh, what's the unsummon called? Two-mana unsummon? Uh, dramatic Rescue. Dramatic Rescue. They lose their counters and their guy. Well, for the turn anyway, but they've also got all that investment, so it's just another wee tool that is uh, better against Golgari, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Well, Gary, you're potentially in a slightly better position to dominate the air. They've probably got less flyers. I mean, the dagger drone imps, the only thing I'm just coming particularly yeah, to mind. A big expensive 3-3 black guy, a locust of some sort. I can't oh, remember. yes, the locust. Um, but you, you may have control of the air, potentially. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that just, that means you should jam all your flyers into the deck, but your knightly valor, which gives you the plus two, plus two and vigilance, that's pretty good on a flyer. It can also be good in the ground just to deal with their large guys. Um, yeah. yeah, and then removal, but then removal, you kind of want that in everything, so it kind of goes without saying. Yeah, uh, I think a, a specific, I mean, I suppose Golgari's main weakness is their lack of flyers. Yeah, it's speed and flyers, I mean, you could say that, um, Selesnya's got a bit of weakness in flyers as well, though, so. I mean, the, the yeah, worst thing they can do is if they get a flyer and they, they then scavenge onto it, that's, that's a bit of a problem. I mean, your towering intric and it may still be a pretty decent thing to have in this matchup. You still have your, your white flyers, the griffins and such like, and the vassal souls open to you as well. So you've got kind of bears in the air. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you don't have the big flyers. No. No, unfortunately not. Right. I think we're potentially done with Slesnia then. Um, oh, one more thing with Slesnia. Uh, do you think, um, is it worth ramping in Slesnia? It, like, is it worth, uh, Axbane Guardians, Slesnia key ruining in Slesnia? I mean, you're probably, I mean, you're probably happy with key ruining at any rate. Um, but yeah, you could do that. I mean, especially if you somehow, I would say accidentally, because you probably don't want to intentionally do it, but have too many courses of cords and uh, the horn callers chance. Like, yeah. if you sort of need to get up to the big mana, because, well, e- sorry, either you got too many of these cards, or you didn't get enough, uh, or you haven't got enough centaur heralds or cult conclaves. Like, if you're, if you can't guarantee your sort of early centaurs, then yeah, you probably want your axe being guardian. I mean, it slows down your opponent, it gives you more mana. And that hopefully means you can get up to the 6 or the 8 if that's sort of what you need before you can start um, getting your tokens out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I definitely take it. I mean, it's definitely... It's got a better place in Golgari. And, I mean, Golgari want the Axe Guardian so they can get access to scavenge as quickly as possible. Yeah, and Golgari's got more defenders within its colour. Yeah. Cause Whereas Selesnya, I can't think of defenders within... Uh, do you... I'm trying to remember, is the Armoury... No, the Armoury Guard gives you Vigilance. Um, We've got Gatecreeper Vine. Yeah, there's also Gatecreeper Vine. Um, 
so those are two defenders you can have. I'm not sure if you're deliberately putting Gatekeeper Vines in yeah. just for the sake. I mean, I mean hmm. Gatekeeper Vines fine if you've had to make a splash for some reason. Now, I was trying to think of cards which would be worth splashing, like work well with sure up any problems you might have with. I really can't think of any weaknesses in Selesnia, which is what is the main weakness of playing Selesnia? Um, if you, I mean, bounce, I would potentially say. Yeah. You get, I mean, that just it's just removal for tokens. Um, it can screw up the tempo because it's important you sort of establish yourself and then get in with incremental advantage in some ways. Yeah. And yeah, I think bounce is a big thing. I mean, removal is just part and parcel of it. There's not much you can terribly do to defend your guys. I mean, you can giant yeah. growth onto something to avoid the event, the annihilating fire, but if it's just straight up removal. One thing you don't have, I'm just thinking, is card draw. You don't have any card draw. Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, yeah, um, yeah, you, you, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't even think of anything else to say except for, yeah, you're right. Like, yeah. there, there's no card draw. I mean, the only thing I think is the gatekeeper vine, which gets you the land or the gate. And that's not really, uh, card yeah. advantage. That's just putting an extra, that's just fitting your deck slightly. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I can't really think of any, I mean, there's only inspiration that draws you cards, but it's not, you're gonna, you're not splashing for that. I mean, you got Steeler Secrets as well, but is it getting in as a 2-2? I mean, yeah. yeah, I don't know if you got, uh, you, you maybe don't, you probably don't have enough detain, that's probably where it works better, where you can detain stuff or you can teleportal in, but. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose you'd splash a righteous authority. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that is also a rare. And yeah, yeah I mean, we'll I, not to talk about rares, but I mean, usually when you're splashing, it means you've picked up a rare that you can vaguely play. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yep. Anyway, I, I think we're done with Slesnia. I think we're done with Slesnia. <laughs> we may revisit it in the future. Yep. Um. But yes, yeah, so we'll we'll deal with the other four guilds in time. I mean, we'll get them all done before Christmas for sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, right. Let's move on to another regular feature. Which is name that card. So, uh, each week we, well, one of us, uh, or potentially both of us, as happened last week, thinks <laughs> it, well, gets a card and slowly teases out the details and see how quickly the other one can guess it. So, do you want to do it or should we do one a piece? Uh, let's do one a piece, Craig. Let's okay. Do one a piece. Um, right, I've got my player's guide for Turn to Ramcon M13 in front of me. Okay, okay. Pick a set. M13. Okay. Old school. Yeah. Right, let's see. <laughs> Old school. <laughs> you knew. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this may, this may be easy, but we'll see, we'll see. So I have picked an uncommon creature. Right. Which is a 2-1. Right. And it has a CMC of 3. 3 mana 2-1. Ah. Yeah, 3 mana 2-1. Which is uncommon, which uh, may, may or not may not be relevant. Um, right, you're going to give me more, Craig. I'm no good at this. It's a human scout. Ah, right. No. Oh, if only I could remember the name. No, I can't remember. It's green, isn't it? It is green. Yes, yeah, that's correct. Uh, and uh, the flavor text says, "The more dangerous, the better." I don't know, Craig. It's got a picture of a woman holding a spyglass looking out into the distance. Oh, is it Moon Valley Beast Tracker? Yes. 
Yay. It is Movoli Beast Tracker. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was somebody else. I thought it was, uh, when I was thinking, when I was saying, oh, I, I know who it is, but I was thinking of a completely different card and I still can't remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I thought I'd pick that thing and mention it earlier. I was wondering if that would help trigger anything, but. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I don't want to promo one of those. <laughs> I mean, it's probably the same one as you got the games day, but yeah, it's pretty bad. When it enters the battlefield, search for a death touch, hexproof, reach, or trample creature. Reveal it and then put it on top of your library. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you're not really doing enough for three drop. Right. Yeah, I always like like that when I got the gorgon. You know the black gorgon. Yeah, the, yeah, I was like, yeah, got my gorgon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I I only have my return to Ravnica book in front of me, so that is perfectly fine. Yep, uh, I will choose a card for you to guess. That would help. I've got to find a good one. You got it far too easily last week. Okay. We have, on this card, there is a Return to Ravnica set symbol. Okay, so it has one of the watermarks. <laughs> so it's a, it's a guild card. Oh, no, that's not what I meant. But yeah, it's got one of those too. <laughs> oh, you, you, you meant uh, on, uh, on the I'm, picture. Yeah, I was just artwork. being vague. <laughs> Sorry. Yep, it's got a black border. Any guesses? <laughs> uh, I could have a few, but... Okay. The converted mana cost is two. Okay. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, uh, I can start firing off gases, but that's not much to go on a guild card. Converted mana cost two. Okay. Within the text box, there's a blue mana symbol. So it's an Azorus or it's an Is it card? Ah, oh, I kind of want to say Bluster Squall. No, no. But I'm not quite sure if that's even a CMC2 card. Uh, Okay. Okay. The uh, the flavor text is, what's the voltage? We don't need another charred crashing Vashino. And that's Bori Andon, the Is It Blast Seeker. This is Pursuit of Flight? It is Pursuit of Flight. <laughs> yes! <laughs> You're teasing out the details very slowly. There. I know, I know, because I figured if I said enchantment or red, it would give it away too much. <laughs> This is potentially true. <laughs> Let's move on to our personal topics. Uh, do you want to start? Or should I start? How do you? Uh, yeah, I could start, I suppose. Okay. Uh, basically, what I was wanting to talk about was the process of opening packets, opening booster packets, and questioning whether it's worth it or not. So you get that little buzz of excitement when you're opening your packet. You, you, you feel it in your hands. It makes a sort of rustling noise. It's smooth. Feeling, you know, booster packs a certain weight and you can feel the quality of the cards inside, and when you open it, you get the glimpse of the cards along the top, and you slide them out. And when they're new, they're, they feel really nice, and there's this kind of excitement of you don't know what's in the pack. It could be something really good. It could be like a foil mythic planeswalker or whatever the chase rare is of the day could be in there. And then you look at it, and it's something rubbish. You know, it's just another junk rare. Some, you know, it's um, Guild Feud or something, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, basically, th- there's so many people just open booster packets. And what brought us to my attention was when we draft, you, you come to the draft with us, Craig? I do indeed. At, at the end of the night, because each person pays slightly more than the recommended retail price for the packets to uh, just enter the draft, a lot of places when you buy a draft, you just pay 
the you just buy your packets basically. But where we draft, what we do is you basically pay an extra two pound fifty or three pound on top of that, and booster packs are put into the prize pool. And when you're redrafting your rares, you can pick either a rare or a booster pack. And it's really interesting to see which people will pick rares and which will pick booster packs, because often the rares on the table that are left, okay, the really obvious cards, like your your chase rares, are gone, but then really staple cards that make it into a lot of, de- lot of decks get get left on the table when people crack booster packs, which is essentially just a lottery. And uh, it's, it's almost like the people who will go into the shop and just buy packs, and like, I cringe every time I see somebody walking into the shop and open a pack. It's like, no, don't that you're doing it wrong. You should be drafting those. <laughs> Why are you doing it? So basically my point is, don't open packs. Draft packs. So if you're listening to the show and you don't uh, draft regularly, but you're maybe thinking about starting, tell all your friends to stop opening packs. But everybody buy three packs and open them one at a time and pass them around and you'll get to pick every card that you get out of that pack. You, you you won't be subject to the random lottery anymore and the person who's the most skillful in your group will get more the better cards. And but the thing is like when you draft, when you redraft at the end, it's very rare. Even if you come dead bottom, you still end up with cards you want. Whereas opening packs isn't always like that. Sure you get the occasional, you know, jackpot hit of a I don't know, a, like a foil, chase or a foil chase or something, yeah. Yeah. But for the most part, it's something really disappointing when you open them, open packs and you end up with a few and you've just thrown your money away. And do you know what? You did. You just threw your money away. You should have drafted those packs. And that's basically my point for today, Craig. Um, I wanted to go a bit, a bit back to what you were saying before where, like, yeah, where, where we draft, like at the end, Everybody takes out all their rares and their mythics and their foils. We put them all down on the table. We put all the boosters down on the table. And then from the person you want all the way to the bottom, you pick a card or you pick a booster. Now, the thing I notice is once the first person reaches for a booster over a rare, everybody else follows suit. Because, you know, if there's eight people, then there's eight boosters. And if you don't pick up a booster right then, then somebody else is going to get, like, your booster in a way. Yeah, I suppose so. Like, the, like there is that mentality. Like the first, like you're you're just waiting for somebody to start, and the second somebody starts, everybody then picks a booster. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's because. Well, I'm looking at it differently, maybe because I have a lot of cards, and the last thing I want is more commons and uncommons. Mm-hmm. And so basically, if I open a booster, <laughs> I'm just looking at the back of the pack to see what's in there, and if it's yeah. worth anything to me. Maybe some of the uncommons at this point in time who have uh, not got full play sets and everything. But really, I'm not that interested in commons, to be fair. So do you not get caught up in this sort of wave of grab the boosters? Not really, because I can usually see something that I would choose to pick. I'd rather choose a mediocre rear than open a mediocre rear. Yeah. You know? I that true. I may have to reevaluate myself um when it comes to Friday, I'm yeah. resisting because I mean we don't have to say anything, but there's the one person in the shop who always goes first when it comes to boosters. Yeah, I suppose so. But then that 
Do you not think that's weighted in because in the past they've been quite successful opening boosters if, if you can be successful? So in the past they've had good experience opening mm. boosters and had a bit of luck. Yeah. And so that's why they do that. True. It's a sort of, um, it's happened in the past, it'll happen to me in the future mentality, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And maybe you can't blame some people for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I may have to hold myself back next time. Maybe, maybe, maybe I should just consider what the lottery is. Like, maybe I need to work out what the average card is. And obviously, if the average card isn't something isn't available on the table, then maybe yeah. that's when you pick the booster. But I mean, I think my main point is just that drafting is, drafting boosters is much better value than opening boosters. Not only do you get the cards that you want, like you could sit there for the whole draft and just pick cards that you want or need to fill out your collection. You might not have a very good deck to play the draft with, but you'll have cards that you want. And on top of that, you get a night's entertainment, you know? Mm-hmm. So, that you know, just I was getting on my soapbox a wee bit, saying, don't open packs, draft packs. You know? Yeah. Because <laughs> people just do it. They'll just, I mean, people just buy boxes and burst open boxes. And that's like, how much entertainment could they have out of that box? Yeah. <laughs> Also, also, I mean, yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I know, I mean, I've done it, I've done it myself, I've done it myself, because it is a, opening a box is an exciting prospect, <laughs> you know? Indeed. It's like, ooh, can I contain myself? But you should. Now, you've got me a tricky dilemma, because I do, do have a personal topic I could talk about. Hmm. Or maybe following on from your topic, I should go into the ways that two people can do a draft. Because there are ways for two people to do a draft. Like, you don't need eight, well, seven friends and yourself. You can do it with two people. All right, I've never heard of this, Craig. You're going to have to explain. In which case, um, there's there's different ways of doing two-player drafts, but the one I'm going to talk about is called a Winston draft. And what you do, you you and your friend uh, open all of your boosters. So you have three, your friend's got three, you open all six, Mm -hmm. and you, you, you don't look at them, you just... Put them in one big pile and you shuffle them. You shuffle this to all six boosters. Right. And then you put them in one big pile and then you take the top card off of it, put it in one pile, and a top card off and put another pile, and your top card off in another pile. So what you should have is there should be three cards separate yeah. and then the big pile of cards. Now, you randomly determine who goes first and what you do, when it's your go, you get to look at one of the piles. So at the beginning, there's only one, there's only, there's, you know, three cards to look at. And you, you pick up one of the cards and you look at it. And you decide at that point whether you're going to draft it or whether you're going to put it back. Right. Now, if you draft it, then obviously you get to keep it. And then you put another card back on that empty pile. But if you put it back, and you put it back and you take one card off the big pile and put it on top. So all of a sudden, this pile has got one card you know and one card you don't know. Yep. And then you decide to look at one of the other two. So you maybe have a look and you decide, oh, I want this, in which case you take it, and then you create a new pile. Or if you put it back, then again, you put back the card, you know what it is, and you put another card on top. So then you're left with the third pile. So you pick up the card and you have a look. And again, you can put it back. And if you put it back, then you put another card on top, and then you just take from the top of the big pile. Maybe this is hard to explain without sort of <laughs> pictures. But, uh, so you basically got pile A, B, and C. And you can look at any pile, but if you put it back, you put an, uh, a, another card on top. Yep. But if you look at all three and you decide, nah, I don't really want any of those cards, maybe you just maybe you just see Island, Island, Forest, or something like that. Right. You just take a card from the top. And then the second person gets to go. So all of a sudden, they're looking at piles of two. 
And they get to do the same thing. So they can look, and then they've got two cards. Now, they get to take both cards. It's not like you're only allowed one card from the pile. They take both cards, so it's a all-or-nothing sort of thing. But they can put it back. So, you know, maybe maybe look at a pile which had the forest you saw, and then they see, oh, it's it's a white common, which they don't want, or something like that. Like the train Caracal, you know. And they just go, ah, I don't want that. Put it back. And So they put a third card on top. So you know one of the cards. They know two of the cards, but there's a third card which nobody knows. So, it, so basically, there's a there's a part where sometimes you look at the card or you look at the pile and you go, yes, that is amazing. I'll take that. Yeah. Sometimes the pile gets so big, like you're looking at eight cards, and maybe they're all a bit meh. But maybe you just go, well, you know, there's enough cards, like they can start filling on my deck, or maybe it gives me options, and then you take all eight. So there's a quality over quantity part to Winston drafting. Right. But then sometimes you look at all three piles and just go, ah, oh, they're all crap, I just potluck, and then you just take a card off the top. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And of course, there's a further dynamic insofar as, you know, maybe you keep, maybe you and your friend keep looking at a pile. Like maybe, you know, you look at four cards and you go, nah, and then it becomes a fifth card, and they look at the five card pile and they go, nah. Eventually, you're, somebody's going to take the pile and you're going to know most of what's in that. Yeah. So maybe, so like, it, it is hard to pick up signaling, but that's how you get signaling in a two person draft, because you kind of know most of the cards they've just picked up. Yeah. So, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's an interesting way of drafting. Yeah. It does seem, there's also uh, what they call pack wars. There is also pack wars, which is yeah. not drafting, but it is something no. to do if you just got a booster or two. Yeah, a booster or two of your friends. I'm not entirely sure how it works, to be honest. You don't just uh, play it. Uh, yeah, I'm not entirely sure pack wars works, but I've heard of it. Um, well, pack, pack wars is the mini master format. All right. You know mini master. That's uh, vaguely, yeah. That's what we got at the um, games day. No, the magic celebration, oh, sorry, which just like happened. Three of each land or something. Yeah, so what you do, you open a booster, and you don't look at it. All you do, if you know where it is, you remove the, the promotional card, or the token. Mm. And then what you do, you, you shuffle your booster without looking at it. You put three land of each colour in. So you've got your three planes, your three swamps, your three forests, blah, blah, blah. You shuffle them all in together, and then you just play the deck without having a look at it. Yeah. Now... <laughs> Now, when it came to the Magic Celebration, you're not allowed to mulligan. Because the whole point is, you're not meant to know what's in your deck. It's sort of meant to be a bit of a surprise. It's a bit like when you open a booster and you look at your cards and you're going, oh, I wonder what I got, I wonder what I got. Except for you're playing a game of Magic, which instantly makes it better. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you're you're drawing a card and you have no idea what it's going to be. It may just be a land. I mean, you've got 15 lands. You've got more land than you got anything else, but, you know, whatever. Or maybe you pull the rare and you go, oh, I've got a... Chase, and then you play it, and both you and your friend are like, oh my god, you got a chase! <laughs> it's like, it's cool because you've got a chase, and you just pulled it out, but also like, oh my god, how are you going to deal with it? It's great, it's a fantastic feeling. Cool. Or maybe you pull out something rubbish like Guild Feud, and then you kind of go, oh, oh well, you know. Yeah, I wish you'd done a draft. You can't win. <laughs> yeah, you can't win all the time, but yeah. Um, so yeah, that's how you play Mini Master. If you're doing it as a tournament, then... Um, when you win, you get another booster, and you get to start sort of making small constructed decks with it. You get to pull cards out and change your lands, but um, that's going a bit deeper. But if if you and your friend just want a booster each after an F&M, and you want something to do, like, because the thing with Mini Master, you keep all the cards. So if you're really that sort of person, which just like, no, I don't want to draft my booster for some reason, but I really want all of the cards in here for whatever reason, yeah. then you can just play Mini Master and you keep all the cards. You just need three of each land, slap it in, shuffle, go, have some fun. Yep. Yep. Cool. 
Oh well, that was a bit, that wasn't what I was planning to talk about, but um, <laughs> there are there are other two player formats, but I can't, I can't entirely remember them. I'd rather not go sort of half explaining something and people get confused and wondering what they're trying to do. So yeah, I'll just stop there. I think maybe we can revisit the different ways of uh, doing other ways of drafting in the future. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, because there are other other ways of doing it. There's uh, diff- yeah different draft formats. Yeah, um, even Cube has a really obvious. Format yeah. is just a different way, a completely different way of drafting. But yeah, um, and the, yeah, there's there's another way of doing it where you get to see what everybody's drafting. I can't remember the name of it. Is it uh, Rochester? Rochester. Yeah, that's or it. Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. But I think that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, Rochester used to be popular um, in the past, but it's not really talked about anymore. But no. Anyway, anywho, yeah. um, I think we're done then. I think so. In which case, uh, wish to thank uh, our listeners for listening. Um, We've already had feedback after one show, which I was uh, very happy to read, and it was all positive. So uh, maybe the trolls just haven't been bothered to email in yet, but um, I was very touched, and uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, if you do want to get in touch with us, then you can do so via our Tumblr account, delvingtodraft.tumblr.com. You can email us at delvingtodraft.gmail.com, or on Facebook, you can just search for Delving Into Draft. And I'm also on Twitter as at Ravak underscore, which is R-A-V-A-K underscore. You can also comment on MTG Cast, where our shows are put up. And if you're listening to it somehow else, then I'm not quite sure how you did that. So, your hosts for this week were me, Craig, and you, Steve. Yay! Uh, the intro and outro music is by Kevin McLeod. The name of the song is The Cannery, and it is royalty free music licensed under the Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. What did you get, Craig? What did you get? I haven't opened anything yet. Oh. Should should I not be uh, doing a pack pack wars with us? No, no, no. Just or win the draft. Just see what's in it. Okay. Did we could, hear that? Did we I'm opening it. Oh. What did you, what did you get, Craig? A card. Did you get? Uh, hey, we're gonna do this a card at a time. Build up the excitement. Oh, oh what, what? Reborn defenses. What ah, what's in the back, Craig? What's in the back? <sighs> Urban Burgeoning, which I'm not yet played. Yeah, from his, what's it in the back? Museum Skin, which, yeah, I'm not wanting to play. Dynacharge. We spoke about Dynacharge. Ah, no, what's it in the back, Craig? What's it in the back? Okay. Oh, it's a gold card next. Is it, is it oh, gold? Oh, Electromancer. Goblin Electromancer. What's it in the back, Craig? You, you can you can just wait. Grizzly Salvage. Uh, I'm going to burst with excitement. Um, I attack you with Stab Wound. Um, <laughs> like Stab Wound? Ooh. Sta- yeah, stab wound's a good card. Yeah, yeah. Poor girl doesn't look too happy about it, but you know, it's a good card. Um, Towering Indrik. Ooh. Um, I'm an Azorus Gilgate. What's in the back, Craig? Oh, Cam, I'm st- no, no, I'm still in the commons. Tower Drake. Uh. Oh, I'm now onto the uncommons. Tavern Ooh. Swindler. Boo. Would you like to flip a coin? Yes. What's in the back, Craig? Tell me. Tell me what's in the back. Celestia Charm. Can I oh, exile you? Oh, we're getting there. I can feel it. I can feel it. We're getting close. Do you have Power 5 or greater? Can I exile you? Oh, our core Rosda Guildmage. Ooh. Okay, here it comes. I'm going to slide it out slowly. From the bottom. Dun, 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 dun. It's gold. <gasps> the artist by Kev Walker. Oh, oh, oh. I have no idea. It's not a creature, because there's no power toughness. It's... It is... Azorus from the colours at the bottom of the 
Porter. <laughs> the borderline. So battlefield, battlefield under their owner's control. I think it's a detention sphere. That does sound like a detention sphere. Return the XL cards. Grand detention sphere. Yes, detention sphere. Boom! Open packs. Ignore everything I just said. You get good cards when you open packs. Woo! I've got a rhino token and an island. Yay! Oh, he's doing the dance. He's doing the dance. Oh, he's doing the dance. <laughs> got a detention sphere. <laughs> See, the, it, when I do something like this and I open Detention Sphere, it kind of like, yeah, just ignore everything Steve said, just open this. Yeah, you get good stuff in every pack. <laughs> <sighs> detention Sphere, well, that makes me happy. 